Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Hey, Christ City, just before we jump into the text and we look at uh, our third week of Advent and we talk about joy, just a quick update on our Advent giving campaign. Uh, at the time of recording here on Friday, we have received nearly $47,000 of our $75,000 goal. So thank you so much for your generosity. Just wanted to highlight a couple of the ministries that we're supporting. Last week, talked a little bit about a couple of the ministries we're supporting um, in terms of the downtown east side. And what I want to talk about today, just highlighting two more of them, and they're both tied to refugee care. Uh, there's a community school, it's called Edmonds Community School in Burnaby, and that particular neighborhood in Burnaby is the most diverse postal code in the whole country. It's a place where a lot of uh, new immigrants and refugee families are settling and uh, coming alongside this school and the principal of this school, who's a follower of Jesus, uh, really allows us the opportunity to serve these folks. Um, they've got a couple of main needs, uh, food security is one, and the other is devices for education as children are kept at home and are, are falling behind in their education because they don't have anything to do their school on. So we want to come alongside them and help them out. And then uh, we also are going to be supporting and continuing to support our own refugee plan and our own refugee ministry here within the body of Christ City. And so we want to supplement that with some funds this year as well. Uh, one more thing just before we get into the message. Um, I know the Christmas plans that you had uh, are no longer the Christmas plans that you have. Um, I know that. It's the same for me and my family. Um, here's my request of you, Christ City, in general, um, connect with people. I know that people are hurting. I know that people are frustrated. I know that people are alone. And you just might not have any idea how meaningful it is to just have someone reach out and check in and encourage them and, and maybe you know, drop them off a meal or whatever that looks like, just to be the kind of church that really reaches out and connects to some people beyond our own normal circles. Just go a little bit beyond that and check in. Uh, the other thing, and maybe more specifically, um, if you uh, know of someone who is alone through this season, and you know that they are allowed under the current restrictions in the public health order to join a family or a household, can I just ask that we make space at the table? We want to make space at the table. And if we can do that safely and wisely and in line with everything we're being asked to do, we want to do that well. So I just want to commend those those ideas to you and just ask you to, to do that. If you want to reach out to us for anything or any needs, if you are a family looking to connect with somebody or if you're alone and you're looking to connect with a family or a household, whatever that looks like, just email us, info at christcitychurch.ca. Now, today, let's get into this message on the third Sunday of Advent. We are talking about joy. We're talking about Advent joy. We're talking about Christmas joy. We're talking about the good news of great joy. We're talking about joy in Jesus. And the way that I want to look at it today is just by talking about uh, the, the idea of our joy under four headings, under four points. We're going to talk about the liminality of Advent, and don't worry, I'll explain that. The liminality of Advent. We're going to talk about the disorientation of our desires. 
We're going to talk about the disruption of joy. And then finally, how we cultivate a resilient joy in Christ. So the liminality of Advent, the disorientation of desire, the disruption of joy, and how we can cultivate resilient joy in Christ. So first, let's look at the liminality of Advent. Uh, it, It helps us to understand the season of Advent as like a liminal space. Liminal space is is like an in-between. Think about it like as you walk into your home. It's like stepping over the threshold of the door. You've got one foot inside the home, one foot outside the home. You're standing over the threshold. You're in-between. That's liminality. It's like when you're crossing over the Lionsgate Bridge and you're driving to the North Shore. You leave Vancouver and you're on the bridge, but you're not yet on the North Shore. There's a direction, you're heading somewhere, but you're not in Vancouver and you're not on the North Shore, you're in between. That's a liminal space. Liminality is, is, is knowing that there's a vaccine out there for COVID and it's being distributed now, but still being locked up at home. It's knowing the way things are, but being mindful of the way things will be. And the liminality of Advent says Christ has come and he will come again. This is the message of Advent. Advent is God's stubborn annual reminder that the world is not as it should be, and we feel this on a really deep level. Liminality is a way of thinking about the tension of Advent. It's the tension, really, of the whole Christian life, and and it's the sense that we are living between what already is and what is not yet. It's the already and not yet of the promises that we have in God. And the season of Advent helps us to see that Jesus was the king who was promised. He's the savior who was promised. He was the savior who was born and who lived and who died for our reconciliation to God, but that he is also the savior who is going to come again and make all things new. It's the joy that we have now in this moment, but it's also the promise of the expectation of the joy that is to come. The Advent simply means arrival. And and today, as we live, if you think on the the cosmic timeline of all history, we live between the first arrival or advent of Jesus and his second arrival. In his first arrival, Jesus comes in obscurity. He comes as a servant. But in his second arrival, he is going to come in power and glory, and he's going to be acknowledged as the Lord of all. And it's in between those two arrivals where we live. We know that he is with us. This is the liminal space. And we need to see that Advent is the answer to the problems of this world. Advent is a picture of why we as followers of Jesus have measures of hope and joy while the rest of the world around us maybe wonders why. We can have hope and joy in the midst of the broken world we live in. Because Advent's not just the celebration of the season that leads up to Christmas. It's actually a formative posture that we live with as Christians, where our present life is informed by the future promises of God. We import those future promises of his second coming into our moment right now. This is the tension of Advent. This is the tension of Christianity. But to really understand the liminality of Advent, we need to understand the disorientation of our desires. And to understand the disorientation of our desires, we need to go all the way back to the beginning, to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are there, standing in the midst of the Garden of God, 
enjoying all that God has created and all that he has given them, and they're finding joy in knowing him and walking with him. And then enters the tempter, the serpent, Satan. He comes to them and he tempts them to disobey God by eating the forbidden fruit in the garden that God had commanded Adam and Eve to abstain from. I want you to see this. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The food was good for food. The, 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 the fruit was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes, and it was desired to make one wise. It was good for food. Now, it's interesting. It's not like Eve lacked food. She literally had every other source of nourishment available to humanity in the garden. But she wanted this fruit. It was a delight to the eyes. And it's, again, not like Eve lacked visual stimulation, but she looked on something and she found it beautiful or delightful, and she wanted it. It was desired to make one wise. Again, it's not like Eve lacked the ability to gain knowledge and wisdom. She literally walked in the garden of God, the creator of the world. She spent time with him. And God reveals himself to us as the creator of all knowledge. He is all-knowing. He's the source of infinite wisdom. He's the creator of wisdom and knowledge itself. But the thing was, she wanted it. And she wanted it apart from God. Listen. She wanted it on her own terms. She desired it on her own terms. Now, now do you see this? She's not being guided by her rational thoughts. She's, she's, being guided by what, she's not being guided by what she believes to be true. I, I think it's on a deeper level. She's being guided by what she wants, what she desires. She's being guided by her desires. This is the case for every human being ever born. This is why we do things that are inexplicable and why we see others do things that are inexplicable. That They don't make any rational sense. There's no logical reason to do some of the things that human beings do to one another. But it comes out of our place of, of, of disordered desires. We are first and foremost creatures of desire. And as creatures of desire, we need to pay attention at where we are aiming or aligning those desires. There's an author named James K.A. Smith. He wrote a book called You Are What You Love. He said, it's not just that I know some end or believe in some telos. More than that, I long for some end. I want something and I want it ultimately. It is my desires that define me. In short, you are what you love. So he talks about the idea of a telos. Don't get hung up on that. Think about that like a target. It's something that he would say we are aiming at or, or something that we're pointing our desires and our affections toward. It's some end. It's some ultimate reason, an ultimate thing, something ultimate that we're living for. In the 17th century, Blaise Pascal wrote this. 17th century, some of the language is antiquated, but he said the desire for happiness and the inability to attain it suggests that men were once happy. But now only emptiness pervades man where happiness dwelt. He attempts to fill this void with external things, but nothing satisfies him. This void can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object, God. So Pascal is saying, 
that we once knew what total satisfaction in life felt like. Call it knowledge, but call it fullness of joy. We knew what that felt like. If if I can maybe restate what he's trying to say, he's telling us that there is an echo in the soul of humanity that reverberates. It's an echo. It's the sound of the kind of joy and satisfaction that was filled to overflowing when humanity walked in perfect relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. And we all hear and feel that echo. And because we are fundamentally creatures of desire, we are hardwired to try and satisfy that longing. That's not a bad thing. Adam and Eve's mistake in the Garden of Eden wasn't having desires. The mistake of sin in the Garden of Eden was directing those desires somewhere other than God. And as we talk about joy, it's the disorientation of desire That's our desire for joy on our own terms. The disorientation of desire is the desire for joy on our own terms. Their mistake was directing their desires in a direction contrary to what God said was best for them. And the story of humanity ever since the Garden of Eden has been a search to satisfy the echo of those longings in our hearts. And Christ said, just hear me. You cannot gain true joy on your own terms. But thanks be to God, he has made a way. We looked at the liminality of Advent, right? The Christian posture of the already, not yet, of living in that in-between space. We've looked at the disorientation of desire, right? We're creatures of desire. We want happiness and joy, but in our sin, we seek that joy on our own terms. But third, we need to look at the disruption, the disruption of joy. Look at our text. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now just imagine the scene with me. You've got these shepherds out tending their flock in the dark of night. And all of a sudden, the glory of God radiates through wherever they were. The angel of the Lord appears to them. There they are in the black of the night, and all of a sudden, the radiant glory of God shows up. The angel of the Lord speaks to them. When when the radiant glory of God shows up, and they are all of a sudden impacted by that, it says that they were filled with great fear. It's not like they were a little startled, like they had a little spook. This is terror. They were terrified. And I just want you to notice that ever since The sin in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Terror is the natural response to people of the holiness of God coming near. Even think back in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, God calls out to them and says, where are you? He knows where they are. What's Adam's response? He says, we were afraid, so we hid. This is the natural response of encountering the holiness of God. The shepherds were terrified. But the angel of the Lord speaks to them. He says, fear not. 
Fear not, I have good news for you. And it's good news of great joy. Look at the text, verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I just want you to see that they moved from great fear to fear not. And they moved into good news of great joy. They moved from great fear to great joy just with the words of the angel who brought the message to them. These shepherds are the recipients of the greatest news of the greatest joy ever known to the world. Here it is, verse 10. And the angel said to them again, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See, the good news of great joy is that a Savior, Christ the Lord, has been born. The good news of great joy is wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And what they're just getting switched on to here is that this great joy, this baby in the manger, that he is the focused center of all joy. He is the focused center of pure joy. And when we reorient our desire toward him as the center, everything in our lives changes. Christ City, I don't know how old you are, and I don't know how many Christmases you've seen. But I think that we all know deep down that the problem with the world is that we desire joy, and we desire it on our own terms. Happiness happens and is connected to the happenings around us, but true joy is different. It's a different story. For us to find a satisfaction for our longings and a satiation of our desires, Jesus had to come and show us what it means to be human. For us to find satisfaction for our longings, Jesus had to atone for our sin and reorient our broken desires. For us to understand joy, we all needed to have our normal or our perception of normal disrupted. And I think that's what God has been doing in 2020. He is using the disruption of that season to reorient our desires and our affections back on him. For us to understand joy, we need the disoriented desires reoriented toward the new goal. And see, Jesus is the good news of great joy. He has been the focused center of all that we long for since long before we knew that we had longings. Jesus is the right orientation of our hearts. His birth is the answer to the questions that we didn't know to ask. And his arrival, his advent, is the disruptive key to the reorientation of our joy. This is the advent of joy. It's the arrival of joy in our midst. And see, when we run apart from God and we rebel against his commands, when we desire joy on our own terms, we end up pursuing things that lead to death. When we are confronted with the difficulties of life and we basically say to God, you know what, God, I've got this. I know what I want to do. I know the way. I know what I want, and I'm going to get there. Right? He knows that we need to be reoriented. And if we'll allow him to, He enters into our mess and he just shows up. 
When we desire joy on our own terms, we end up lost and wandering, but in his grace and in his mercy and in his everlasting love, he says, let me show you the way. He disrupts our normal, just like he disrupted the normal of the shepherds on the night where they were tending their flocks, where they are terrified, and the angel of the Lord says, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. It's newfound joy in Jesus that is very disruptive. It reorients our desires and it drives us to a new focus. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, in our definition of joy, we must be very careful that it conforms to what we see in our Lord. The world has never seen anyone who knew joy as our Lord knew it, and yet he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So our definition of joy must somehow correspond to that. Joy is something very deep and profound, something that affects the whole and entire personality. In other words, it comes to this. There is only one thing that can give true joy, and that is contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He satisfies my mind. He satisfies my emotions. He satisfies my every desire. He and his great salvation include the whole personality and nothing less, and in him I am complete. Joy, in other words, is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the disruptive good news of great joy that the shepherds encountered out in that field. But you got to hear me because it cuts both ways. Disruptive joy means that we can have joy in our disruptions. A reorientation of our joy allows us to flourish as we live in this space in between. And if we want to have that kind of joy, we need to cultivate it. See, the liminality of Advent is that in-betweenness of the Christian life. The disorientation of desire, it's that our desires are bent towards sin and rebellion. We want joy in our own terms. But the disruption of joy surprises us. It's a desire-reorienting, salvific encounter with the Lord of joy. And that brings us to cultivating a resilient joy in Christ. And I get it. You're overwhelmed. You're exhausted. You're beaten down. Me too. You're upset that Christmas celebrations are not going to be happening the same this year? Me too. Happiness happens when the happenings of life are happy, but true joy abides. It's deeper than circumstances, and it transcends our pain. See, it's in the cracks of life that the light breaks in. When we encounter Jesus and we comprehend the good news of great joy, of his arrival and his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his promised return in glory, that whole package reorients our desires and it shifts our perspectives on all things. So now, because of the joy of Jesus, we measure our circumstances by our guaranteed joy. We don't measure our joy by our momentary circumstances. It's why we sing joy to the world. Ray Ortland said something like this. He said it's an enduring Christmas carol because it says that there really is joy out there. 
It's external to us. It's above us. It's not dependent on us or created by us, but moves toward us and graciously invites us in. That's why we can take hold of the good news of great joy in a world of monotonous, depressing evil and horror. We need to cultivate that kind of joy. It's resilient joy, and it shines in the painful disruptions of life. In Christ City, it's not the kind of joy you can order on Amazon. Yet we try. Now, this great joy we find wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is the great joy the disciples had when they encountered the risen Jesus. This is the great joy we have as we contemplate Jesus and the renewal of all things. It's gospel-shaped joy. You can't buy it. You can't manufacture it. It's resilient joy, and you need to cultivate it. It's the resilient joy that James was talking about. In James chapter 1, verse 2, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Hey, this is the resilience that I'm talking about. It's resilient joy that is steadfast. Right? Count it all joy when you suffer trials. Hey, that doesn't mean you don't weep. I'm talking about the kind of joy that is yours even when things are terrible and there is weeping and sorrow, right? It would be better if we translated this where it says count it all joy. If we just called it pure joy, right? It's all joy. It's full joy. It's a state of being rather than an emotion. We count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. This is the resilient joy that we actually get from Jesus. It's the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel joy of Advent. And you cultivate resilient joy in your life when you understand the liminality of Advent and the tension of Christianity that we live in between, in the tension between the already and the not yet, in the promises of salvation that are ours but are yet to come. Okay, you cultivate resilient joy by living into the future promises of God in the here and now moments. You grab a hold of the future promises of God and you let those promises inform your present circumstances. Okay, you cultivate the resilient kind of joy when you repent of your disordered desires and you turn away from sin and you stop trying to manufacture joy on your own terms. We cultivate resilient joy when we allow God to disrupt us and disrupt what we think is normal and we allow him to reorient our desires toward the good news of great joy that we have in Jesus. And sometimes that reorientation comes through suffering. And we are to thank God for it. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, I don't have seven steps to develop and cultivate a joy-filled life. I'm not that guy. I have one point. In all the sermons I've preached over all the years that I have preached, I only have one point. You cultivate resilient joy when you take your eyes off of the negative circumstances around you and you fix your eyes once again on the author and perfecter of our faith. The cultivation of resilient joy is completely tied 
to the way that you keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, as you are gathered with your house church online or are you, you're preparing to gather with your house church online, we're going to take communion. And I know some house churches are gathered right now. You're watching this together on a Sunday morning, and I love that. I know others are gathering midweek, and I love that. Wherever you're at and whatever's going on, we now have an opportunity to celebrate communion as a group. So whether this is in advance of your midweek gathering or you're doing this right now, why don't you pray through the liturgy and get prepared to celebrate together? Communion has a past, present, and future reality to it. The bread and the wine point to some truth that we need to take hold of today as we cultivate joy. The reality is Christ was crucified and he died in our place and for our sin upon the cross. We can behold the cross and know that we are forgiven. When we repent of our sin and we turn to God and we say, forgive us for our waywardness and our desire to do things on our own, our desire to save ourselves, we know that we have been saved. We know presently, even as we celebrate communion together, that we're not only looking at the past, but that we're also looking to the future. Because the scriptures teach us that every time we celebrate communion, we are proclaiming the gospel until Jesus comes. And so here in the tension of Advent, we celebrate this reality together. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to know that communion is for followers of Jesus. But I want to ask you, do you know that you're right with God? Like in your heart of hearts, right now in this moment, do you know that if you were to die today, that you would spend eternity with him? Because if you don't know that, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to yield your own will to his. And you need to say, God, my Father, would you forgive me for my sin? I receive Christ's atoning work as he died for my sin in my place. As he took all the punishment that I deserved, I receive that today by faith. And I ask you, Jesus, that you would come into my life, that you would reorient my desires, that you would open my eyes to behold you, that you would become the good news of great joy in my life. Let me pray. Father, I ask you for that right there. I ask you that in this season of disruption, in this season of recognizing the disorientation of our desires, that, God, we would not have eyes closed to the lost world around us that don't know you. But I pray, Lord, that we would cultivate such joy in our lives that we would have enough to share. And I pray that cultivated joy in our life would overflow into our workplaces and the places we're going to school and into our homes with our roommates. And God, I just ask you that in every sphere of relationship that we have, that abiding joy would be evident and that you would give us boldness and courage to share the hope we have with those in need. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.